Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets banned. This is episode 57, and tonight we're having a very special show this time around. I am going to be reading aloud an original short story by the one, the only, Kelly Combrink from the Night of the Living Podcast podcast. So let's see if you're smart enough to unravel the mystery of Mrs. Lumley's masks. <laughs> and because I can't leave you completely without any movie dirt, I'm going to be giving you all the insider scoop on John Cusack's The Raven. Or should it be called The Turkey? Only time will tell. Right after this promo, y'all. Cha-ching! Hey, you cool cats! You out there listening to the chitter-chatter on your iPod machine. Why don't you come on and drop by N-O-T-L-P dot com and check out six nasty Cincinnati kids talking about the shit you like. Oh, yeah. Night of the Living Podcast. Well, I, I like it because they talk about topics that are important to me as a man of uh, of my generation. I like it when the little guy talks about pornography. I like the recipe segments. I'm really hoping that eventually they tell a joke I can borrow for one of my mini cocktail parties. I just don't like to be alone in my head. There you have it. Your brothers and sisters agree. Night of the Living Podcast is where it's at, homie. Hey again, everybody. It's great to have you all here again for episode 57. So already this this show is going to be a little different than the others just because, well, first of all, you're probably all wondering... Weren't you supposed to have surgery this week? Yes, I was, but I canceled it. Just at the last minute, I started to realize I didn't have a lot of information from my doctor and stuff. There was all this confusion on their end about when I was supposed to go in, and I just started to not feel good about it. And it turned out there was a reason I couldn't have it done anyway, which I'm not going to get into here because it's gross. But let's just say I'm here. I'm queer. You know that already. Anyway, so, um... So what's different about the show? Well, as you know, Kelly Combrink is sharing a short story with us. I'm going to be reading it for you. But on top of that, Mr. Brad is deathly ill. He's here behind me, and I'm not far behind him. I can feel whatever he has I'm going to have within the next 24 hours because my energy is starting to go... So I wanted to get something out to you in addition to the short story. But I don't think I have the energy for the regular chatter. And plus, I can't think of a damn thing that's been going on. I've been having rehearsals for my show, Red and Green Room, which is opening in the beginning of May, which I think I might have a promo for you. I might have already played it. Because time does not move in a linear fashion here at the Scream Queens Horror Podcast. As a matter of fact, time is so out of sync that 
Patrick from the future is interrupting Patrick from the past to inform him that he did not play a trailer for the Red and Green Room. He instead played an old trailer, an old promo for the Night of the Living podcast. Now, why do you say old? What does it matter? They've been around forever. Well, they mentioned Palaver. It was actually a commercial for Palaver.com, which is where both Night of the Living podcast and myself hosted our forums. Well, Palaver.com is no more, unfortunately. However, Night of the Living podcast still is alive and kicking so please go see them at at notlp.com or subscribe to them on itunes and that would all be great and now those of you who were active in the scream queens forum over on palaver.com you're probably like well where are we supposed to go now well i'll tell you after asking around asking listener opinions what you guys wanted i've opened up a facebook group in addition to the facebook page now the facebook group is called screamers with a z exclamation point it's the official fan group for the podcast, and I want that to be a community community for you guys, for you to mix and mingle and mangle and and plot and plan and well, just make the world a creepier place. Because I know how you guys are. That much said, Patrick from the future returns to the beyond, and we return to Patrick's from the past, speaking in the present. I hate time travel movies. God. Attention, Patrick's from the past, present, and the future. This is Patrick from the even more distant future, where we all speak with affected accents for no apparent reason. You have lied to your listeners. You did not play the outdated Night of the Living podcast promo after all. Freddy from NOTLP was able to get you a brand spanking new promotional audio clip moments before you were to post the episode live onto the internet. So stop spreading lies and stop messing with the time-space continuum because everybody's really fucking confused. That is all. By the way, your fly's open. All three of you. And for the life of me, I don't know what else has been going on, but the one big event that has happened was that thanks to Rich and everybody over at, at Fangoria and the the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group, Brad and I got to attend a free advanced screening of John Cusack's new movie, The Raven. Plus, we got to meet John Cusack afterward, so that was pretty cool. So I'm going to talk about that right after I play the trailer. Hold tight, kiddies. I'll be right back. Hold tight. Hold tight. Hold tight. Rocky Sack, you want some seafood, mama? Dear God. Get the inspector. This crime is familiar to me. Edgar Allan Poe. To what may I attribute the honor of your call? The night before last, a young girl in the middle was found murdered. The daughter's body was lodged in a chimney. The mother's head severed with a straight razor. You're referring to one of my stories, a work of fiction. I'm afraid I am not. Do you actually think that I murdered these people? What cannot be disputed is that your imagination is the inspiration of a horrendous crime. I love you, Edgar. Be careful. I believe the killer is taunting us. I challenge the brilliant detective mind of Edgar Allan Poe, a game of whips. If I will kill again, and on that new corpse, I will leave clues. As unfortunate as this is, you may be uniquely qualified to cast light on our killer. The pit in the pendulum. 
other of the stories in the collection? Specifically about murder. I'm afraid so. This killer is methodical. He wants us to know he's gonna strike again. I dare you to try to save your beloved's life. He will keep her alive to keep you involved. It's part of his game. Emily. This ends, I will kill him. Okay, so that's The Raven. Now, the movie does not officially release till April 27th. So I think it's unfair for me to talk about it in depth and give spoilers. So I'm just going to give you a general impression and, of course, tell you stories of the absolute wackiness that occurred online and during the screening of the movie therein. So, let me just quick talk about the movie. Um, As you can gather from the trailer, it's about uh, the last few days of Edgar Allan Poe's life where it turns out there is a serial killer who is mimicking the the crimes detailed in his stories, which, of course, is, is not going over very well with him or anybody else. Now, let me say this up front. John Cusack as Poe, I really enjoyed what he does. I really think he was a good choice. You know, I was questioning it at first. I said, really, John Cusack? But he worked very well. He goes to the dark side and he does it well. Not the meetup group, but, you know, just the dark side of, the dark side of you. Not the, the Eddie and the Cruisers version either. I think my fever is starting. Huh. Okay, but um, to be honest, the movie didn't really 100% gel for me. I can't really recommend it strongly. If you, It's a matinee at best. Um... It's never particularly thrilling. The mystery is never not anything. I was so I was kind of maybe I think I was expecting more of a theater of blood sort of a feel like you sort of knew what story was coming up next or wondering, "Gee, how is he going to recreate this crime when it's not like that at all?" After a while, you're just getting the tiniest little connections from story to story and it becomes impossible to play along with or try to get ahead of. And even when you're playing along, you're going, "Wait, what? Wait, what? How did that That was kind of specious." Yeah, I just said specious. Well, and that's the, that might be the literary geek in me as well. Because I love Poe. I know the stories. So when you're making these really flimsy connections between them, I'm going, eh? Really? And lots of things are letdowns. Like when you get to the Mask of the Red Death and you know that's what's coming and you think, and this, the, this rich dude is having this masked ball that has been threatened. That the guy says, I'm going to kill at this ball. You're thinking, oh my God, the Mask of the Red Death at a real society ball? This is going to be amazing. And when it happens, you're like, that's it? You took one of the best stories and that's what you came up with? Um, and that was kind of how the, feel, the, the whole movie was for me. I was like, at the end of it, I'm like, that's the story you came up with? With everything you were given? <sighs> the tone of it sits uncomfortably. It kind of wants to be Sherlock Holmes, but they don't go the action hero route. It, not that it, they should have, but it just doesn't really know what it wants to be. It is gory. The special effects do have some shoddy CGI. Some of them don't, but there, there are moments. Overall, it's okay at best. One of my favorite things that I just read, because uh, I went to get the audio for the trailer from YouTube, and one of the comments said, oh my God, I can't believe this movie totally stole that scene from Saw 5 with the pendulum. Yes, Saw 5 introduced the concept of the pit and the pendulum. Absolutely. Edgar Allan Poe totally stole that from Saw 5. Why are people so stupid, people? Huh? Why? 
Speaking of stupid people, as always, I can't really talk about going to a movie without talking about the whole experience around the movie. So, picture it. Union Square, Manhattan, 2012. This is one of the rare occasions where the dark side, where Rich and the dark side could not get his people in to cut the line. So we actually had to wait online. Like common folk. And as appalling a concept as that was, we did it nonetheless. Why? Because we're whores. So I got there fairly early. The screening was to start at 7. I got there at about 4.30. And there wasn't a lot of people online yet. When I arrived, I see Rich and his big ball head. So I hop in the line. I'm like, hi, everybody. How you doing? And I'm not there two minutes. When I realize there's this woman in front of us, you know, not immediately in front of us, but five or six people ahead of us. She's about three, four and a half feet tall, four and a half feet wide. Face like a bulldog on a bad day. She kind of reminded me of a cross between, you know, Abby Lee Miller from Dance Moms and a troll. Not like the little trolls with the hair that goes poof. No, no, I mean the trolls from the movie Troll. You know, Herba Herba Wait, Herba Herba Wait. Ah, those trolls. But not cuddly like those trolls. Those trolls were kind of cute. But that's... Okay, not an attractive woman is what I'm trying to say. But she was yelling at this woman who oddly looked like Tyn Daly, strikingly so, from Cagney and Lacey and many other things. And she's yelling at Tyn Daly about the trailer for Tim Burton's Dark Shadows. Bulldog voice like, It's not right that they're making it a comedy. It was a very serious show that was very serious at the time. And it's just, a, it's just insulting to me as a viewer of Dark Shadows. And the other one's going, Actually, I used to watch Dark Shadows when it was first run. And we always knew there was some sort of coming. She's like, No, it wasn't. I watched it in 1980 on the remake, and it was very serious. Whatever. And I'm looking at the old, I'm looking at the bulldog woman, going, "You were old enough to watch it first run. Either that, or you really have bad genes." Anyway, as we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and waiting, I don't know. She keeps turning around and yelling at the back of the line. I wish everybody would stop pushing forward. Ruff, ruff. There's no room for us to go. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Like, Nobody's pushing forward. Like we were. She's and she's looking at us. Like, we're doing something. Now, I noticed that we hadn't moved at all. Now, at this point, the line is becoming a clusterfuck because it's free. You know, every dreg in the city comes out to try to get in these things. And now, for this one, it's a little bit different because I know we had to RSVP. Our names are on a list, and I know if your name is on the, not on the list, you're not going in. So all these people that are on this line waiting to get in, thinking that they're getting in, they're not getting in. Because I know even it's the biggest if it's the biggest theater that they have in there, this line is... It's around the block three times, basically. We're not all getting in. I don't know who she's yelling at about pushing up. And believe me, no one is pushing up to try to get closer to you, you ugly whore. So just fucking relax. And the more I'm listening to her conversation, I'm realizing she's one of these people. She's one of these people that leeches off these free moving screens. She's like, yeah, I'm going to see blah, blah, blah tomorrow. And I've seen, I've seen something free every day this week. And I'm going to see it. The next two weeks are booked up with these free movies. Ruff, ruff, ruff. I'm going, God, so you have no life, is what you're saying. It's fine to get something for free, but I know whenever you go to see one of these free movie screenings, if you're not with Rich in the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group but get to cut the line, your whole day is eaten up by standing outside waiting for your slot. And this bitch is right there at the front of the line, so she clearly has nothing else to do with her time. Clearly, she doesn't have time to, like, shower or put on makeup. <laughs> not that it would have helped. <laughs> but... but 
So she's, it's not just me, she's annoying. Like, it's my whole group. We're just, like, just, t- we're just tired of looking at her and hearing her. Her voice is carrying, rub, 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 all the way down the line. Just shut the hell up, bitch. And then it's starting to rain. And Nix, who's standing next to me, says, Oh, did you hear that? She just complained about the rain. She just said, well, Nix didn't say it. The way she, in her bulldog voice, but I'm going to say it. She, but basically, this woman said, well, it's starting to rain. Well, 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 I can't believe it's raining. I just washed my hair this morning. And the both of us were like, what? Because if this woman washed her hair this morning or any time this month, I would have been amazed because it looked like she dumped about a gallon of, you know, mayonnaise and Crisco in it and then ran <laughs> and then crimped it. I mean, I'm thinking, what what do you have to worry about the water for? The oil is just going to make it whoosh, whoosh run, off, run right off like you were a duck, which is an insult to a duck. I don't know what was going on with the politics of this theater on the inside because they kept opening the door to, like, check count people. And every time they opened the door, this throng of people did start pushing forward. Now there is actual pushing forward. And she's yelling at our group to push back. You got to stop pushing forward. You need to push back. Push back. Push it back. And I'm like, bitch, I am pushing it back as far as I can away from you. But you have to talk to the other 3,000 people behind us online. So now she's developed a hatred for our group. We have a hatred for her. And it's this whole thing. So now, since we're not pushing back enough to suffice her her needs, when one of the security people come out to deal with the line, she pulls him over and she's like, run, 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 run. That fucking bald guy's group, they keep pushing forward. There's nowhere left for us to stand. We're getting trampled. And it's all that fucking bald guy's and I said, actually, it's just all the fucking ball guys' fault. <laughs> I love you, Rich. <laughs> and then when we're going in, it turns out, because she was ahead of us, her name's not on the fucking list. So I'm like, ha, huh, we won't have to deal with you anymore. But somehow she bullied her way in. I don't need to be on any list. I come to screenings here all the time. I'm very insulted. Her, her opinion seemed to be that they wouldn't be able to actually have the screening without her there because she's, like, free screening royalty. Okay, whatever. And now when we get inside, it turns out we're in the, the smallest theater that they have in here. So, like, there's not even going to be a, a, a remotely the amount of seats to fit even the tiniest percentage of the people that are outside. So I'm thinking, fuck, there's going to be a riot. And at some point, I got... One of the dark side members got up to pee or get popcorn, and they turned out, yeah, that woman, she got in, and she's causing a ruckus because she said she doesn't have, she's not in the super reserves because there were two sep- there were two sections for us to sit in. If you had a yellow ticket, you sat in the general admission. If you had the red ticket for press, you sat up in the in the raised section. And she was complaining that she couldn't sit in the raised section because I come to every one of these screenings, and I deserve a reserved ticket. I'm a bad, blah, blah, blah. And she's one of these people that clearly gets what she wants by bullying people, by making so much noise that she'll get something for free and get in to a free screening that she can't get into, that she hasn't reserved for, to get into reserve seating that she's not qualified for just because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and the grease is in her hair. So we watch the movie. The movie's okay. John Cusack comes out afterwards. Now, I had met him before, or at least seen him before at a, at a Q&A, after um, a screening of Grace is Gone which was an independent movie that he did, and it was a very sad movie about him losing his wife in the Iraq war. And he was very mellow afterwards, and I figured that was a sad movie. Maybe that would reflect 
his his mood. But this was the same way, even though it was an exciting movie. He kind of just talked like this the whole time, and you know, he didn't really seem to care about much. But it was weird. He had this weird hat on that looked like a Rasta hat, but black. I don't know what was happening. I don't know what was happening with the hair. And during the Q and A, I did want to raise my hand and say, "What the fuck are you wearing on your head?" But I didn't because you instead you have. I hate going to Q and As for this reason. I like to meet the celebrities. I like to hear about the industry. I like to hear about the story behind the movie that they made. But invariably, invariably, people don't ask questions. They make statements. Hey, that part in the movie where you had a raccoon as a pet? I saw that part. Yes, we all saw that part. We all watched the movie. You fucking asshole. Sit down. But no, invariably, the first question at Q&As is always the same question. It might be asked in different ways, but basically, it's always the same thing. Um, can you get me a job in your next movie? Fuck you. Yes, you're the exactly per- you're exactly what we've all been waiting for for my next movie. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this free screening. The industry in as an entirety has been saved because of you, you fucking schmuck. Anyway, thing, the last thing I had to say, I had to pee during John Cusack's Q&A. So it was a Q-P-N-A, Q-A and P. And when I came back in, I didn't want to go climbing back over everybody. So I just stood and I waited. And when he left, you know, the security guards took him right past me. And as he was leaving, you know, everybody's just waving. That bitch dove over. The fat, the fat bulldog bitch lady dove over three aisles and over the railing. Didn't only shake his hand, but like attack him. Like threw her arms around him and was like, I love you. All I was thinking was, ew. 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 And I'm just pitching that she left this big oil stain on his clothes. But you know what? Our dealings with her still were not done because the following day I got a text from Miss Nix who said that on the way out of the movie theater, this woman tried to strike up a conversation with her, the bulldog lady. Because, you know, Nix loves octopus. That's her signature, you know, animal. And she she had this incredible, you know, pin, you know, this scarf pin, I guess we'd call it, of an octopus. It was very large and very, you, you can't not comment on it, like it or love it, but it was striking. And so this one was like, well, I really love your octopus pin. I love octopus. But Nix was like, keep on, keep on walking. I'm just going to keep on walking. I'm not talking to her. And Nick said that, you know, when she got further away, she heard the woman turn around and go, oh, that bitch was from that fucking bald guy's group. And in the second part of her text, Miss Nick said, hold on, give me a second to prepare. That woman looked like the garbage lady goblin in Labyrinth. I felt like Jennifer Connelly trying to run away from her. Yeah, she did actually look like the garbage lady goblin from Labyrinth. I'll go for that. If the garbage lady goblin had a baby with uh, Marjorie the trash heap from Fraggle Rock, the trash heap has spoken. Yeah. But anyway, that's The Raven. I didn't really recommend it. You can go see it if you want to. Um, it's not awful, but it's not great either. But let's if you do see it, just let me know about the closing credits because I thought the closing credits were incredibly weird. When you see them, you'll know why. We'll talk later. Well, you know what? We've got a short story to read. And not only do we have a short story to read, I'm incredibly proud of this. Next segment of the show. I think it came out really well. I think the story is terrifying. So I want to thank you, Kelly Combrink, for sharing it with me. I am thankful for you giving me this opportunity because I learned a lot about myself and I think I learned something new. Like how I unsplit infinitives without thinking about it. But you know, that's an inside joke just between you and me, Kelly. <laughs> anyway, enough of my babbling. Let's get down to the story. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Lumley's Masks. Oh. 
Scream Queens Horror Podcast presents Mrs. Lumley's Masks by R.K. Combrink. Read by Patrick K. Walsh. The dining room table must have been beautiful when it was new. It was made from good, solid oak and had to weigh upwards of 200 pounds. The legs were stout and immovable, stubbornly denying any shimmy or shake after God knows how many decades. The bevel top was inlaid with a rich cherry panel. Chrissy thought, You could probably drop a bowling ball on this table and it wouldn't even tremble. Only the scratches and gouges that crisscrossed its surface betrayed its age and use. Chrissy wondered how many generations of dinnerware must have been dragged across it to have left such deep, ugly grooves. Would you like some more coffee, honey? Mrs. Lumley smiled sweetly across the scarred table at Chrissy. Chrissy smiled back and shook her head, her ponytail bobbing from side to side. Oh, no thanks. She patted her empty mug. I'm all set. All righty. The old woman slowly stood from her chair with a groan. Then I guess we should go ahead and get started. What do you see? Sounds good to me. Chrissy bounced to her feet. The old woman shuffled out of the dining room and into the shadowy front hallway, with Chrissy following close behind. Their footfalls echoed off the granite-tiled floor. Oh, Mrs. Lumley, when does your sister move in? Mrs. Lumley tottered past the front door to the other end of the hall where a staircase huddled against the far wall. She stopped at the newel post, which was nearly three inches taller than she was, and she turned to look back at Chrissy. She'll be coming up this evening. With a grunt, she heaved herself onto the first step. Later today, I'm having the medical supply people come in and install one of those motorized chairs that go up and down the steps. She uttered a breathless little giggle as she continued up the stairs, waiting till both feet were on a riser before ascending the next. The old wood creaked and sighed with every step. I'd love to have one for myself, although I'm sure having to do all this walking has kept the rigor mortis away. <laughs> she cackled and went on. Come on now, Chrissy Mock scolded. None of that rigor mortis talk. You're still a young woman. She was climbing right behind Mrs. Lumley, forced to adopt the old woman's gait. Step, step, wait. Step, step, wait. She felt an uncomfortable burble in her stomach. Thinking she might need to use the restroom soon, Chrissy willed the old woman to move faster. They finally stepped into the upstairs hallway, dark as the one below it. Only the gray November daylight spilling through windows at either end of the hall gave any illumination. It fell through the spokes of the second floor railing, spotlighting the dust-covered strands of a large spider web that hung abandoned by its tiny architect. There were four rooms upstairs, all with old-fashioned paneled doors, each one closed, except for a bathroom at the far right end. The walls were painted a dark brown, with ornate crown molding along the ceiling and floor. The molding had probably been a gleaming white once, but now, like everything else in the house, it was gray with dust. The two women padded along the carpet, and Chrissy looked around, her heart breaking a little at the sad state of neglect that had befallen such a lovely home. She told herself that after helping Mrs. Lumley get these upstairs rooms cleaned, she was going to work on the rest of the place. The old woman stopped at the last door to the left of the stairway. 
This is going to be Ginny's room. She turned the cut glass knob and shoved her weight against the door. It popped open with a wooden shriek. She stepped inside and Chrissy followed. The room was large. The walls papered in gray with vertical lines of dark blue leaves running from floor to ceiling. A window at the back of the room, dressed only with a single gauzy sheer, presumably looked out into the backyard. Though, at the moment, this was impossible to know for sure. A wall of junk stood between the window and anyone who might want to look out of it. This junk blockade wound its way into the center of the room, where it crumbled into a loose pile of debris. Cardboard boxes overflowed with papers and photographs. A small hutch piled high with costume jewelry and compacts crouched sadly below a grimy, gilt-edged mirror. Several different kinds of lamps had been shoved into the corners and towers of stacked books leaned against the walls. Two different bureaus held years' worth of magazines. There was an old writing desk that looked like it had come out of a one-room schoolhouse on the prairie. Chrissy let her gaze sweep from one side of the room to the other, trying not to be overwhelmed. Mrs. Lumley's eyes fell with shame. Oh, yes, sir, this is quite a lot. I don't know why I let it get so bad in here. She picked her way over odds and ends to a straight-backed wooden chair that was partially hidden under some discarded drapes. She pushed the curtains aside and sat down. After Garden died, I just started putting things in here I couldn't find a place for anymore. I don't think I ever expected to need this room again. Oh, it's not that bad, Chrissy lied. This is gonna suck, she thought. Some of the stuff looks really heavy and... My head's starting to hurt. She wanted to ask for an Advil or an aspirin, but didn't want Mrs. Lumley to have to go all the way back downstairs to get one. She decided to just try and ignore the pain. Um, where are we going with all of it? Well, Mrs. Lumley looked around her belongings sadly. A lot of it will go in the trash. Oh, are you sure? Chrissy felt a flutter of distress. She didn't feel good about helping an old woman throw her memories away. Yes, quite sure. Mrs. Lumley managed to paste a smile on her quivering lips. I don't need most of this junk. Anything I keep will go in the next room over with the masks. Mrs. Lumley looked up, her false smile suddenly becoming genuine. I forgot to tell you about my collection, didn't I? She hopped up from her chair and scrambled through the maze of junk to the door. Her sudden flurry of movement caught Chrissy off guard. Coming up the stairs, Mrs. Lumley had seemed very frail and, and slow. But now she moved like an agile crab. Ah, come on! I haven't had anyone to show this to in a while! She stepped out into the hallway, and Chrissy turned and followed. Actually, you could start clearing some space in one of the corners and hear from me while I decide what few things I want to keep. Mrs. Lumley made her way to the next door down. That'll keep you from having to stand around watching an old lady cry. Chrissy reached out and put her hand on Mrs. Lumley's shoulder, giving it a very light squeeze. Mrs. Lumley, I'm so sorry. Maybe there's someone we can just move your stuff so you don't have to get rid of it. Maybe we can store it in the basement. The old woman reached back and tapped Chrissy's hand with her own. She leaned against the closed door and turned to face Chrissy. No, dear. I'm afraid the basement is already full. Besides, it's time I let go of some things. Jenny deserves to come into a comforting environment. She's been through so much. She leaned on the doorknob, turning it. All that clutter will just keep me from taking good care of her. I've looked out for her since we were young. 
We lost our parents at an early age, you know. A lump formed in Chrissy's throat. You're such a good person, Mrs. Lumley. Such a good sister. Mrs. Lumley's smile turned wistful. Well, like I said, she's been through a lot. She pushed open the door and, with Chrissy close behind, stepped into the room. Chrissy felt her jaw drop, and she knew that her expression must look ridiculous. But she couldn't help it. She wasn't expecting to see what she was seeing. Her headache intensified, and she felt a tremor of dizziness. The room itself was as large as the one next to it, maybe even slightly larger, with the same window looking out from the back wall. There was no furniture in this room. No chairs or tables or wardrobes or dressers. There were only masks. Hundreds of them, maybe a thousand. Mrs. Lumley hadn't bothered with display racks or cases for her collection. It simply sprawled where it liked. The walls were hidden behind drifts and dunes of masks piled up against them. They spilled out into the center of the room. Empty eye sockets beyond counting stared up at Chrissy from every corner, regarding her with indifference. What do you think, honey? Aren't they nice? Mrs. Lumley slipped her arm around Chrissy. Chrissy just nodded politely to the old woman, pretending to like what she saw. There were masks of all kinds. Chrissy saw beautiful masquerade-style masks, bedazzled with sequins and feathers, mounted on sticks. She saw the huge, furry face of some nameless creature hanging from the wall, its mouth agape, its round, black eye holes wide, as if with shock. There were eye masks, like the Lone Rangers, scattered around the edges of the collection. Their elastic strings tangled and bunched. In a pile near the door were some cheap plastic masks. Pigs, cows, cats, babies, clowns, painted in grotesque pastels with rosy cheeks and red, red mouths. Rubber monster masks glared and bared their molded fangs from spots around the heap. All these masks and many more besides filled the room as if a dump truck had come in, dropped them, and left. Mrs. Lumley walked into the center of the room, smiling at the masks that gazed up at her from the floor like adoring subjects to their queen. I've been collecting these since I was a little girl. Halloween always was my favorite holiday. Jenny's too. I liked pretending to be someone else. She looked over at Chrissy. You do things differently when you pretend you're someone else. You feel free to be whoever you are on the inside when you're wearing a mask on the outside. The old woman leaned forward and picked up a papier-mâché mask from the pile. It was gray with two tiny plastic leaves glued to the cheeks and brow. A long beak-like nose protruded from between two gaping eye holes and black feathers sprouted from across the forehead. This one belonged to my friend Evelyn. She turned it this way and that, gazing at it fondly. She would wear this with these long, pink rubber gloves that went all the way up to her elbow. Oh, she always looked marvelous. She set it back down and picked up another one. A grotesque, white, furry bunny mask with a pink nose and huge buck teeth. It was meant to be pulled down completely over the wearer's head. Gordon! Uh, Mr. Lumley used to wear this one. Mrs. Lumley's eyes narrowed mischievously. For all kinds of different occasions. She held it up to her face and rubbed its rubber nose against her own giggling. I always liked how the fur tickled. 
She tossed it back with the others and continued picking up masks at random, giving bits of their history to Chrissy. Chrissy felt the mute scrutiny of all the eyeless faces surrounding her and shivered. She didn't really want to be left alone in this room to clear out space. It was creepy. She was also not feeling very well. Her roommate had the flu and Chrissy was afraid she'd caught it despite all her efforts to wash her hands and keep her distance. She wished there was at least a chair in the room where she could sit and rest. She began wondering how silly it would look if she were just to plop down cross-legged on the floor. No matter how much worse she felt, though, Chrissy was going to have to stick this out and finish assisting Mrs. Lumley. Above and beyond her wish to be helpful, Chrissy wanted the extra credit that this volunteer assignment would earn for her psych class. It would bump her grade up from a high C to a low B. If she maintained high grades this semester, her parents would pay for her to go to London in the spring. Awash in her own thoughts, Chrissy lost the thread of Mrs. Lumley's conversation. Realizing that the old woman had paused, Chrissy nodded her head vigorously, hoping that it was appropriate to what was being said. You see? Mrs. Lumley returned Chrissy's nod. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, of course. Chrissy had no idea what she was agreeing with, but it hardly seemed to matter. Her nausea was getting worse. Well, that's why you have to value your friends, Mrs. Lumley went on. Mr. Lumley and I had such a wonderful group of friends. We would throw these little dinner parties, and everyone would come over and play games. Oh, how we loved games. Even though Jenny was ten years younger, we would let her play with us. It made her feel very grown up. We'd play charades, password, Grease and lasso, and darned the dunce. <laughs> of course, everyone would put on masks. A lot of these, she swept her arm around the room, belonged to our friends. I kept them as the years went on. You're never too old to have a good time. <laughs> um, that's a good attitude. Chrissy blinked her eyes rapidly. They'd gone blurry for a moment. Mrs. Lumley seemed to notice the young woman's discomfort. Oh, sweetheart, you're looking kind of green around the gills. Her face scrunched with concern. Are you feeling all right? Chrissy waved her hand dismissively. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I just got a little cold or something. Uh, don't worry about me. Nonsense. Mrs. Lumley patted the girl on the arm and scuttled past her. I'm going to go down to the kitchen and get you a Tylenol and a glass of water. You wait here. Chrissy shook her head. No, Mrs. Lumley, you don't have to do that. I, I can go get it myself if you just tell me where... Mrs. Lumley held up a stern finger. Shush now, you wait here. You're the sick one. You're the one here to help us. The least I can do is get you a pill and a drink of water. And with that, she was out the door and headed down the stairs. The moment the old woman was out of sight, Chrissy crumpled to the floor, stretching her legs out in front of her. She leaned back on her hands and looked around at the masks. They seemed to be crowding past each other, eager to look at the girl who had stupidly allowed herself to be left alone with them. She was suddenly afraid of being buried beneath an avalanche of painted latex, plaster, plastic, and fur. Gaping mouths and empty eyes leered at her with predatory contempt. Fuck you. Chrissy did not hear the slur in her voice. I'm not afraid of you guys. They mocked her with their silence. We think you are. She could almost hear them whisper. Chrissy rolled over onto her knees and crawled to the corner of the room and grabbed a cheap Frankenstein mask. Look, I'll put one on. I was scared of my now. 
She sat up and crossed her legs like a preschooler getting ready for story time and slipped the mask over her head, pulling the elastic band back around and under her ponytail. The molded exterior pressed uncomfortably against her cheeks, lips, and eyes. Her breath was very loud inside the mask and blew back at her. It smelled musty. The eye holes didn't line up with her eyes very well and she had to adjust it to see properly. Now Chrissy was Frankenstein's monster. She looked around the room at the other masks. <sighs> no reason to be afraid now. <laughs> what did Frankenstein's monster have to fear? She grinned widely, the plastic scraping against her face. She giggled, the sound of it rattling behind the mask. She was too dizzy to stand up. Too tired. Instead, she leaned her head over to examine the corner from where she'd pulled the Frankenstein mask. It seemed to have already been cleared out somewhat. Pressed back against the wall, hidden in the shadows of the mask mountain, Chrissy saw a wooden box with a hinged lid. It was the size of a backgammon case. She crawled in a little closer and reached back with one hand, leaning on the other. Chrissy slid the box over to herself. She sat up and hoisted the box onto her lap. From somewhere below, out in the house, she thought she heard Mrs. Lumley talking to someone, but she didn't care. She was overcome with curiosity about what might be inside the wooden case. There was no lock, so Chrissy gently lifted the lid. The first thing Chrissy found was what looked like a folded paper cone. She pulled it out and held it up, opening the round bottom. It had the word dunce stenciled on it. She looked at it for a minute and then tossed it to the floor. It was becoming hard to think. She was getting sleepy. Her mouth stretched behind the mask as she yawned. Beneath the paper cone, dunce cap, it's called a dunce cap, was a thin leather wallet. Chrissy opened it and found that it held a number of long pins topped with shiny round heads. They looked very sharp. She set the wallet next to the dunce cap. Under the wallet, Chrissy found a collection of old Polaroid photos. Her eyes got very big as she flipped through them. Some of the pictures were of people in masks. Many of them showed a young girl, younger even than Chrissy. In all of them, the girl was tied to a familiar straight-backed chair set on top of a scarred but beautiful oak table. The girl was wearing the dunce cap. In some of them, that's all she was wearing. Chrissy's heart began to beat very fast. The people in masks were doing things to the girl. Nasty things. She shoved the photos back in the box and closed it. She looked up and around the room. The masks no longer seemed to be watching her. It was as if they were looking away, giving her privacy. Chrissy opened the case back up and started looking at the pictures again. The first few photos were close-ups of the girl's face, showing how her lips had been pinned shut. Lines of blood, black in the harsh glare of the flesh, spilled down over her chin. Her eyes were haunted, but not surprised. Uh, it's just fake, Chrissy thought wildly. These people like costumes. It, it's fake blood. The pins are a, a makeup trick. She looked down at the wallet full of pins on the floor next to her. They were real. Chrissy flipped over some of the pictures to look at the back. There were dates on them. May 5th, 1965. July 4th, 1965. July 19th, 1965. August 11th, 65. October 31st, 1965. That last one was very bad. Chrissy almost didn't understand what the man in the smiling fox mask was doing to the girl. 
Then she held it to the side and realized what he had in his hand and what he was using it for. Chrissy gasped with disgust, and her eyes welled with tears at the dead expression on the girl's face. It was an expression that said, I've been through this before, and I will go through this again. They had taken the pins out of her mouth in that picture. In the next picture, dated that same Halloween night, Chrissy saw why, and gags behind her Frankenstein mask. The photos went on and on. The dates on the back kept spinning out. People in masks capered in the background. When the lower halves of their face were visible, Chrissy could see that they were laughing. Laughing at the girl tied to the chair, propped up on the dining room table downstairs. Mrs. Lumley's table. Chrissy shoved the photos back in the case. She was disgusted and frightened, but she was also very sleepy now. She just wanted to push the box back in its corner and lie down. Somewhere far back in her addled mind, a voice cried out against this. You need to get up, the voice insisted. You need to get out of this house. But Chrissy just slumped forward, resting her chin in her cupped palms. Her eyes drooped. She was not going to be able to stay awake much longer. She wondered what had become of all the masked people and the girl in the photos. Dead, probably, she thought. All dead. Her eyelids dipped shut. I like your mask. At the sound of Mrs. Lumley's voice in the doorway, Chrissy's head snapped up and her eyes flew open. For a moment, she was completely awake. She looked at the old woman and a scream caught in her throat. Mrs. Lumley's head had grown larger, fatter. Her flesh hung from her cheek and neck in smooth, pale dewlips, and her hair had turned brown and receded. It was shiny, like newly burnt skin. It took Chrissy a few moments to realize that Mrs. Lumley was wearing a mask. A grossly exaggerated rubber Ronald Reagan mask. The old woman kicked up her feet in a merry little jig, her Reagan mask jostling on her neck. It's fun to play pretend, isn't it? Chrissy felt tears spill sluggishly from her eyes, but her terror was already being numbed by exhaustion. It occurred to her that the coffee she had earlier must have been drugged. Her last thought before falling into darkness was of the girl in the photographs. Chrissy awoke very suddenly. One moment, she was lost in oblivion, drifting through an oily scum of nightmares. The next moment, she was awake, her dreams unremembered. She lifted her head and looked out into the front hallway of the first floor. It was very dark out there. Black. Night had fallen. The lights in the dining room were glowing behind her. Mrs. Lumley finally decided to turn them on, it seemed. Chrissy tried to stand and realized she couldn't. She looked down at herself and found that she'd been tied to the straight-back chair from the first room upstairs. An object had toppled from her head during her struggles and landed on the ground. It was the dunce cap. She tried to drag in a deep breath with which to scream and discovered her mouth had been sealed shut with duct tape. Panic gripped her heart and strained the cords of her neck. Her breath began whistling in and out of her flared nostrils. Someone had dragged her downstairs brought the chair down after and tied her to it, leaving her in front of the dining room table. Mrs. Lumley couldn't have done any of that. Who else is here? As if she'd heard Chrissy's thought, 
Mrs. Lumley materialized out of the shadow of the hallway like a ghost. She still had on her Ronald Reagan mask. You're heavier than you look. Mrs. Lumley's voice held the same friendly lilt that it had all through their visit. For a moment, Chrissy grasped at the idea that she'd passed out from the flu, and this was all a horrible dream. But the stiffness in her bound arms and legs, especially in her ankles, pulled back and lashed to the chair, was too real, too convincing. Chrissy gave up on the dream idea immediately. Good thing I'm stronger than I look. You might have some bumps and bruises, though. Sorry about that, I had to drag you. Mrs. Lumley picked up the dunce cap and reset it on Chrissy's head. She walked back to the doorway between the dining room and kitchen and turned the corner. Chrissy heard a chain being unlatched and a heavy door being pulled open. The basement door. She began struggling furiously and futilely. It's time, sweetie. Come on up. Mrs. Lumley called down the stairway on the other side of the wall. A moment later, Chrissy heard an odd mechanical buzzing sound. It went on for a good 30 seconds and then stopped with a loud click. Mrs. Lumley whispered something to someone, and then two sets of footsteps made their way into the dining room. One set was Mrs. Lumley's careful but energetic steps, the other a slow, careful, shuffling gait. It filled Chrissy with dread, and her heart began racing, pounding against her ribcage. I'm sorry I couldn't put her up on the table like the old days. It was tough enough getting her down here, and besides, we wouldn't be able to get her up there the way we are now. The old woman chirped laughter and was answered by a low, reedy moan. Mrs. Lumley was standing in front of Chrissy again, her eyes glittering behind her hideous mask. She held something in her hand that was too small for Chrissy to see. The old woman beckoned to the person standing just behind Chrissy. Chrissy's eyes rolled wildly. She screamed against the tape on her mouth, knowing it was useless but unable to stop herself. Slowly, Mrs. Lumley's companion straggled around the dining room table and into Chrissy's view. It was another woman. She somehow looked both older and younger than Mrs. Lumley. She had long, stringy hair, iron gray with streaks of white. The skin on her face was lined and loose. A ring of ugly scars puckered her mouth around the lips. She leaned in close to get a good look at Chrissy. Her eyes were dull with the ravages of age, but hiding within was an expression, a hollow glint of recognition and dark amusement. All of a sudden, Chrissy realized she knew those haunted eyes. She'd seen them earlier today, upstairs. It was the girl from the Polaroids, 46 years older and ready to play the game from the other side of the table. Mrs. Lumley passed the small item she was holding into the twisted hand of the other woman. You remember how this goes. Remember last time? Won't it be nice to do this up here now, thanks to your chairlift? The other woman didn't answer. She just stared into Chrissy's terrified face. It'll be almost like old times, except now it's your turn. The other old woman stepped closer and held the item up to her face. It was the wallet full of pins. She opened it and drew one out. Mrs. Lumley leaned down and spoke into Chrissy's ear. I'm going to take the tape off your mouth now. If you start screaming or squirming, she's going to drive those pins straight through your gums and you won't like that a bit. Do you understand? Chrissy nodded her head. Tears spilled down her cheeks. Mrs. Lumley pulled a corner of the tape away from Chrissy's skin. If you stay very, very still, I think it won't hurt as badly. The old woman chuckled. Of course, I don't really know. I've never been the dunce. 
She pulled the tape the rest of the way off, and Chrissy drew in a deep, shuddering breath. She didn't scream. Okay, Ginny, time to start. I've got all the other things back here on the table. I will have to cut her pants away. We won't be able to untie her like we did with you. Mrs. Lumley patted Chrissy on the arm encouragingly. Ginny reached out her hand, the pin poised between her first and second fingers like a pen, and grasped Chrissy's chin. Her ruined mouth began to twitch. She was trying to smile. Suddenly, Mrs. Lumley's hands came away from Chrissy's shoulders, and she hurried around to Ginny's side. Oh, mustn't forget this! You can't play without this! She pulled a shiny plastic mask down over Ginny's face. It was a pink, smiling baby mask. There. Now you're ready. Mrs. Lumley backed away, and, and Ginny took Chrissy's chin again in her rough, gnarled fingers. She took the pin in her other hand and pressed it against Chrissy's upper lip. Ah, just like you wanted, Virginia, Mrs. Lumley said soothingly over her sister's shoulder. After all these years, you'll get to darn the dunce. <laughs> Mrs. Lumley's Masks by R.K. Combrink appears in the Urban Nightmares Anthology, available from Static Movement. Urban Nightmares can be purchased at Amazon.com. For more information about this and all of R.K. Combrink's works, please follow the link to his Amazon author page, and the link is available at www.screenqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. Thanks for calling in. Yes, I've seen Cabin in the Woods. I saw it before it even came out. Um, and plus, I took the advice of my trusty on-the-street reporter the who interrupted the episode last time with that important news update. So, yes, I've seen it. Loved it. Not ready to talk about it yet because some people are still straggling. Some people still think, eh, maybe I'll wait. And you know what? You're all dicks. And since you made me remember, I did have to announce a retraction of something my faithful on-the-street reporter said in his update last week. At the beginning of episode 56, my trusty on-the-spot reporter made the following announcement. Your faithful reporter was able to attend a free screening of Cabin in the Woods on Monday night with Rich and the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup group, and his balls were blown out of the theater. We here at the Scream Queens Horror Podcast would like to take a moment to apologize to Rich and the members of the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup group for several reasons. First of all, Rich was not even at attendance at this screening. Yes, it was arranged by the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group, but Rich and his girlfriend, Nix, were in Hawaii at the time. 
The event was actually organized by his trusty second-in-command, Galaxia. You remember Galaxia. I've talked about her on the show before. She ruins everything she touches, and she's a horrible, horrible person. But you know what? She did a good job this time, so Galaxia deserves credit. Baby steps, girl. Someday you'll be like a real grown-up. Now, the other thing I would like to point out, that since Rich was not in attendance, his balls could not have been possibly blown out of the theater. The balls that were blown out of the theater were mine. Uh, I mean, my trusty on-the-spot reporter's balls. I apologize for any confusion that this may have caused. I apologize to Rich, his bald head, and his balls, which are, in fact, intact. And hey, that rhymed. Now, the funny thing is... The idea of these two in Hawaii just makes me laugh. Just makes me laugh because I'm picturing them out there on you know the glistening beaches of Waikiki, the sun beaming down, the waves and the ocean and the palm trees, and the two of them sitting there clad in black from head to toe, the little black parasols looking like the fucking Adams family goes Hawaiian. I'm picturing, I'm picturing them getting off the plane when they landed in Honolulu, and you know the girls they're like, "Ooh, maki laka, hookamaka," and they put the um, aloha, they put the lays on Nick's, and then flowers just die, which is just how Nick's would like all of this. So I'm not insulting them at all. So yeah, cabin in the woods. See it. Thank you, Hunter. Bye. Hey, Patrick. What's going on? It's Rich from the Dark Side. Huh. Hope you're doing well. Mr. Hurst uh, talking about you, you bastard. Uh, actually, two things I wanted to mention on yes. this call. Um, I just caught up and listened to the uh, last show that you had up on uh, iTunes of Screen Queens. Yes. And I uh, just wanted to make a comment. I know you mentioned something about seeing that passion show. Uh, you were recording it while you were drunk on Easter. Um, yes. And that whole thing with the girls in the tutus and mm-hmm. the Sugar Plum Fairy tune and all that stuff and dancing around and... Uh, you did mention you didn't have any clue where they came from, where, where that idea may have even come from. But as you were describing it, it reminded me a lot of that, uh, what was it, Fantasia um, by Disney. Didn't they have a scene where it was kind of like trippy and psychedelic and yes. they were like hippos. hippos and tutus hippos. dancing around to that same tune? Um, yes. I don't know, maybe I got that wrong, but if that is true, I don't know, maybe the the producer of that show was on into psychedelics himself or just happened to watch Disney films a lot. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. But uh, that's anyway, exactly it. Uh, it was definitely good to see you, uh, do, what was it, Wednesday, uh, you and Mr. Bradford uh, over at the Raven screening the Raven. Um, that we went to for free, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I was wondering what your take on the movie was, because I know it was kind of a mob scene and crazy when we got out of there, um, even before we got in there. And uh, but I, I didn't get a chance to get your take on the movie, so I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, just on the entertainment level. I mean, I, I don't think it was anything new that we haven't seen before, which mm-hmm. I'm sure your listeners will see uh, when they go see it. You know, uh, very Sherlock Holmes meets uh, you know I don't know like Mimic or something like that. You know, just something uh, with a copycat killer. But uh, <laughs> had John cockroaches that would be awesome. A good job in the movie. Uh, afterwards, I don't really know. Um, I mean, he came out looking like he was about ready to go steal the crown jewels. Yeah, that was weird uh, from somewhere. But uh, I thought overall it was a pretty good event, and uh, I'm surprised they put it in such a small theater. Very much. Uh, so. You know, but I'm glad that we were able to get uh, you know everybody in with us and. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about your take on it. So uh, hopefully, if I don't see you before you uh, talk about it on the show, I'll be looking forward to uh, 
your review. Blah, Don't want to give away blah, too blah, much blah, about blah, the movie, blah, but blah, um, blah, definitely blah, entertaining blah. movie, and I think it would be a, a something definitely to recommend to uh, your listeners as well. But that's it. Uh, hope all's well, and I will see you soon. All right, take care, Patrick. Bye. Except that I didn't recommend it. Ah. <laughs> Yes, Rich, I already talked about this. I talked about it approximately 45 minutes ago. So, late on the uptake, as always, sir. Uh, that's okay. So, yes, so it's okay. Post, it's in your adult little mind, it's, uh, it's much better to be referencing Dancing Hippos during the crucifixion. Because that's, that's fitting. That's totally appropriate for any Easter-themed show. Because, you know, that's what the crucifixion itself needed. It needed a little levity, needed a little lightness, needed some hippos and tutus to just break the tension. Because <laughs> that doesn't make it any less trippy or weird or get in my head any less and freak me out that it already was. And, you know, Rich, just thanks for calling, you freaking weirdo bastard. God. Hello, Patrick. This is Drusilla. Uh, I tried Drusilla. calling your voicemail, and it's just not working for me. I don't I've know heard. what's wrong. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for your horrifying Christmas, or no, sorry, horrifying Easter miracle. Um, yes. I'm having a really bad day at work, and that just cheered me up so <laughs> much to hear the uh, dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies at uh, the base of the cross. <laughs> that was just so beautiful. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Okay, Drew, thank you so much for that laugh, and I'm sorry about the voicemail line. I don't know what's going on. I've had a couple of complaints about that. Uh, Julie from 1992 Boulevard has been trying to get to me as well, and unfortunately she couldn't get through at all, which makes me sad because now I can't hear her say, Hi, Patrick, this is Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard, the way she does when she calls all the other shows, because I'm dying to hear that. But alas, it's not to be. So hopefully that'll get fixed soon if it's not fixed already. Uh, Mr. Brad's a death door, and I'm afraid I'm not far behind him, so I don't know how long that's going to take. But just hang in there, kids. Hang in there, kids. And I'm happy to know that Christ's suffering was not in vain if it could make your day a little bit better, especially with Tutu Girls. Because really, what doesn't go better with Tutu Girls? I don't know what I'm saying. Next call. God. Hey, Patrick, it's Chris and Denver again. Hey, Chris Second and Denver. Second time caller. Yay. Yay. Not the first time, I'm sure, but... You still getting anyway, Just going back because I have some things I want to ask you about that I didn't want to in my first call because I was being all mushy and crazy. Anyway, a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, it's awesome that you're coming to Denver. My stopping grounds on your little convention thingy. That's cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, living with a crazy woman, I don't get to watch my horror movies being kind of behind, so I finally got around to watching Shrine the other week. We've already covered a lot of details. I'm not going to go into too much about it. Just have two comments I want to make. Uh-huh. First off, is it just me, or did the intern girl kind of look like a 1980s Shelly Duvall to you? Oh! Just a smaller, bigger boobs than Shelly, of course. Oh, but I, mean, I, I thought the horse face. Like the other thing is, for this little town in the middle of nowhere uh-huh. in Poland, there's a lot of hot guys there, weren't there? You notice that? I mean, when they first saw that <laughs> The mean blonde guy, and he's slaughtering Woof. the pig with his being shirtless. It's like, Woof. this is kind of, I was kind of confused because I was turned on and he was slaughtering a pig at the same time. That's just weird. I know. And that's all I want to say about that. The other thing I was kind about is, there's yeah, two things that kind of went together on something, and then the movie I want to ask you about, and one of the main people in it died. So all kind of just melted together for me to ask you about this. Wait, what? When you were talking about being depressed and not wanting to watch a real horror movie. One of my favorite movies to watch when I'm in that type of mode is 
kind of related to Carrie because it's Brian Spalman's other great 70s oh. camp classic, Fan of the Paradise. I love that movie. Ah. I was just curious to see what you think about it. I just love the way that, you know, the whole concept is totally ridiculous. The fact that Paul Williams is playing the heavy bad guy is totally ridiculous. But they take it totally serious and play, act like it's a real horror movie. I just love that fact about that movie. I think it's a hilarious movie. And just want to get your comments on it. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, Mr. Chris, that was a lot to cover. Uh, yes, I am going to be in Denver with the uh, Gala Festival, which is going to be on July 7th through the 11th. I honestly don't know how much free time I'm going to have, but who knows? There might be time for a cocktail or something like that. Well, keep in touch. You know where to find me. And um, that's so mean. That was so mean about that poor little intern girl from the shrine. She was sweet. She looked. She reminded me of Jill Sholin. You know, she from like Popcorn and the Phantom of the Operas, Operas, the Phantom of the Opera remake and stuff like that. Shelley Duvall is a pig face. She, I mean, like big, big, giant horse face, freaky, bug-eyed monster thing. This girl was cute and sweet, or at least I remember her that way. I don't remember her being... <laughs> I remember being very concerned about that girl's safety, not being more concerned about her ability to eat an apple through a picket fence with her giant buck teeth. So I'm going to say nay to Shelley Duvall. was so immature. <laughs> and I'm sorry I felt quiet for a while there, but your call got a little, kind of muddy. I couldn't understand you very well. I had to switch headphones, but Phantom of the Paradise, I've seen it. I didn't like it. I've been told you need to see it more than once. You have to be in a certain frame of mind. It's entirely possible I did not watch it in the proper frame of mind because I was watching it with the tongue-in-cheek, but maybe I just need to see it with other people who appreciate it, who can teach me why I should like it. Although it had my girl in it. It had um, Jessica Harper in it, who I love. And I don't think she ever really got the credit that she deserved, especially when she sang. She's got such a lovely alto voice. She's like Karen Carpenter without her stupid schmaltzy brother. Just low and smoky and smooth. And it's the thing that separates her in my head because I've mentioned on the show before there's that whole problem I have with those three actresses. Brooke, Brooke Adams, Adams, Karen Allen, and, and Jessica, Jessica Harper. Harper all blend into one actress in my head. And I picture them because they just look so similar. And I kind of just put any one of the three of them in any one of the three's IMDb credits. Just because. But the fact that Jessica Harper sings and makes me melt when she sings separates her from the pack. But still, I, when I look, when I go through my mental eye, I uh, my, my mental eye, you know what? I Shut up, Patrick. I need to watch the movie again. I'll put it back in my Netflix queue. I'll find people who like it. Owen, I'm sure you like it because you like everything. Watch it with me. Thanks for calling, baby. Hey, Patrick. It's Joe and Cincy again. Hello, Joe from Cincy. Um, calling today for uh, a couple of reasons. Yes. First one, wanted to thank you for uh, a couple of episodes ago. You played uh, the Skeleton Key. Yes. With Vincent Price, the old radio show. Mm-hmm. I sure want to thank you for doing that. Uh, I really enjoyed the show. I love it when you play these old radio shows. You've mentioned. Um, this particular one I hadn't heard before. Cool. Really loved, you know, again, you know, listening to old radio shows and just kind of, you know, imagining, especially these horror ones, what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love the whole thing of, like, the rats coming and, like, covering the whole lighthouse and, and the screeching and then stuff like that. And this, and the whole Horror, like the thing, what you think of like a rabid rat would be, it was great. I loved, it. I totally loved man. it. Thank you again for doing that. Um, <laughs> and uh, looking forward 
to you uh, doing that again in the future. Mm-hmm. In time. And in time. Uh, secondly, um, back to Carrie. Yes. I said I would just watch uh, the movie Carrie again, but I was on Netflix and I was thinking, and I think I had I had the the TV show Carrie. Oh, um, yeah. Movie. I had that in my Netflix and stuff, and I said, like, no, I'll just watch a few minutes of it. Uh-huh. And I started watching the uh, the TV movie, and I actually, I pretty, I really did enjoy the movie. I was surprised, mm-hmm. uh, being a TV movie, that I would have enjoyed it so much. Uh, but you know, actually, it was very fairly well done. And, and if I can remember, Stephen King actually even liked the show uh, himself better, even than the original um, theatrical release. Mm. Okay, and. Um, you know, overall, I'm very, very favorable about the movie. Um, I haven't read the book. Uh, I got the impression that the TV movie pulled in some more elements out of the book than yes, maybe the did. original movie yeah. did, um, including the meteor shower at the original movie. Mm-hmm. You know, or, I'm sorry, the meteor shower was not in the original movie, nope. um, as I remember. Or the town blowing um, up. I'm not sure what the purpose had for the movie, but maybe just uh, kind of like, and this is how Carrie went crazy. But, uh, um, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, what I uh, some of the other things I really liked about the TV movie was mm-hmm. um, some of the characters I, I recognized. Uh, one of them, uh, Candace McClure, uh, she played Snooze, hard to say, Sue Snell. Um, but she was in the um, reboot of the Battlestar Galactica series. Oh. <laughs> and uh, she played Anastasia Di Duala. Okay. And, that you can pronounce, you know, though. I love my BSG, especially because of my uh, Noah Hathaway is my uh, it's going to be my new husband. Uh-huh. Well, anyway. I saw him in his panties. So there. Also, there was another girl. Uh, her name was Jewel State. She was oh, in sure, the on, uh, Firefly, Firefly series. Uh, she played the ship's mechanic. But she played uh, Carrie's next-door neighbor that was sunbathing topless. Yes. Uh, that's in the book. I just had to throw a couple of those in because I okay. love, love both of those shows. And also um, Tommy Ross, the character played Tommy Ross, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who took Carrie to yes, the yes. Uh, prom. Prom was really hot. I was hot. And Good. I also really kind of enjoyed the whole uh, ending death scene, which was uh, something a little bit different. And I mean, you kind of once you watch the the TV movie Car- Carrie, you kind of understand why they had to do that differently. Because and I don't remember you mentioning this before on your previous podcast, and I'm sorry if you did. I can't remember. But the TV movie was supposed to actually be a pilot uh, yes, for I that. a TV series Carrie, mm-hmm. yes, where uh, Carrie is supposed to help people in Florida, uh, around Florida in the area, with their tele powers and, and how yeah, yeah, crazy Carrie's going to do this, I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting premise. But the whole fact that it was a pilot for a TV series kind of, I felt in a way it was a little detriment because when you're watching uh-huh. the movie, I was hoping, I wish it was more filmed like a, like a movie. What I mean is they obviously had very like commercial breakaways. Well, and they, they would to, yeah. they would end the scene and then they would come back after this you know slight pause in a different angle or whatever, 
and I thought it kind of broke up the movie. Well, and I, I thought, you, about that. you know, this movie could have actually been, you know, a decent theatrical movie in out of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pulled away from it for me a little bit um, when they did those breakaways, like. Oh, oh, Joe! Oh my goodness gracious! My Lord Joseph, we haven't had somebody go over in ages. I'm going to have to dig out my buzzer sound effect now. Oh, my goodness. And I didn't even realize the time. Um, and since you didn't call back, I'm thinking you might not have noticed that you went over. <laughs> I don't mean to be laughing about you. I mean, not about you. But uh, shut up. You know what I meant. You know what I meant. At you, with you, on you, whatever. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, what did you even t- I've forgotten what you talked about. I'm laughing so hard. The radio series, I'm glad you like them. They, You know, I get mixed reviews about them. People like that I do them, but people also criticize me for taking an easy way out when I have to skip a show. But God damn it, I'm the only person here. You know, all these other shows, you got tons of people working, so if somebody misses, it's not a big deal. I miss, there's no show. And I don't like to miss deadlines, damn it. So if you don't like it, fuck it. Joe likes the radio series. And if you got a problem with it, you can take it up with Joe. And Joe will kick your ass. Um, yeah, I like the Skeleton's Key, too. I did some research because I don't want to play the radio episodes that everybody plays. Oh, the ones everyone's already heard. So that was a good one. And I figure you can't go wrong with old Vinnie Price. Now, Carrie, the TV movie, I have to be perfectly honest. I saw it once. I don't remember a whole lot of it. The thing that just sticks out for me is the ridiculous ending where she's not really dead and she drives off in the car. And um, I understand they were trying to make it a TV series. I did cover that on the show several times. But um, there's something about taking someone who massacred not only their entire senior class, but their entire town, and then making them the protagonist of a series. That's going to be a hard sell for the American public, no matter what you do. So that was not a smart idea from the top. Um, The meteor shower. I don't remember the meteor shower in... The story in the movie, however, but in the book, there is a whole series of events. As a, as a child, Carrie was in the news all the way back then, or at least made some some ruffles in the paranormal world because there was a rain of stones on her property. I think she saw that girl sunbathing topless, and all of a sudden, she caused a rain of stones. So it was just a forewarning of what was to come and a little foreshadowing of how it was all going to end spoiler i'm not sure if that's how it went with the movie i don't recall angela bettis you can't go wrong with her and i did not know those other two were in that so that's kind of cool i was not a big Battlestar galactica fan but that's just because i haven't watched it enough my friend owen who was on the carry episode is a total Battlestar galactica junkie and i'm surprised he didn't jump on me and be like you have to what we have to talk about this because he probably doesn't remember either but you know what we're not talking about him right now we're talking about you joe but you went over <laughs> and as always when i start mocking my guests it is time for me to wrap this puppy up for another week so if you want to be like all these 
cool people who help make the show even better than I possibly could, you could give me a call at 347-767-3509. And I just checked with Mr. Brad. He says it's working again. And Joe from Cincy just got his call in under the wire. So hopefully, if you've been trying to reach me, now you can. And if you can't reach me, you can always write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, you might consider making a donation to the Scream Queens podcast through the link on the uh, on the website. All donations help to offset the cost of servers and all that other stuff and help me bring new and exciting stuff to you, the listeners, like we did tonight. And, of course, I'd like to give a huge thank you to Kelly Combrake from the Night of the Living Podcast podcast for sharing his story with me and giving me this huge opportunity. And I'll also like to thank R.K. Combrake for being so dark and mysterious. It's amazing what an R can do. And I'd like to thank the guys from the Night of the Living podcast just for being awesome, for being my first love in podcasting and continuing to be my friends and being fun and crazy and really, really immature. And I mean that as a compliment, and I know you know that. So for next time, I have no idea what's going on because I don't know what's going on in my life. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to start making a dance again in those listener recommendations. So that's right. I'm going to be putting some of you bastards against the wall. And if I don't like what you made me watch, I'm going to make you pay. And I'm going to make you like it. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, You know, boy, I always knew that Mrs. Lumley wasn't right in the head. Why, I remember I had her over for tea one time, and you should have seen the size of the skid marks that bitch left in my turlet. Bye! I go hunting for witches Heads up, galleries Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches!